Hey guys, good morning. Good morning. How's everyone doing today? This is like the most exciting day of my life. I just want you to know that right up front. Um, we'll be in Exodus 17, so you can start turning there. I was so excited. Sorry, Sam, I have to tell this twice. It's so good. I woke up um, and I had a dream. Not a really good dream, but it was a I had a dream that Pastor Sam sent me to jail to, to like minister there, right? And uh, yeah, and I'm texting him. I'm like, aren't I supposed to be preaching this morning? And, he, and he's like, no, that's Will Mata. And I was so upset at him in my dream because I was like, man, this is my opportunity. This is going to be amazing and just silly. But that just goes to show I was just, I've been so excited since uh, the, uh, Pastor Sam messaged me. And I'm so excited because this pulpit in this church has... It has radically changed my life. I can't stress that enough. Like, this is, it humbles me. Like, it's hard to look at you guys because this, this, the men and the word of God that's come from this pulpit has just changed me. It just has. Um, and so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Uh, my name is Alvaro Briones and Alvaro, if you're Hispanic. And um, I started coming here about 10 years ago with my now wife, Malaya. Uh, she's in Kaya right now. Um, but yeah, we started coming, and we had one of the most life-transforming events happen to us here at this church, and, that's, and it was, it's called biblical discipleship. Uh, at Midtown Baptist Temple, biblical discipleship is when an older believer is paired up with a younger believer, and they do life-on-life, one-on-one mentorship, discipleship. Um, and so I was discipled by Pastor Blade Spisa now. He passed a lot on to me. Uh, you know, if you can believe it, I was six foot tall when I started, but he, he passed on his height to me as well. He's, he, so we met in the middle. He's like four, six, I think, and I'm, I was six foot, so like five, five. Again, I love you, Blade. I'm sorry. You, you have to love me. I'm your disciple. <laughs> That's not good. Um, but man, um, during that time, it, it was such a sweet experience. Um, and you know, just like what Jeff said, you can be saved and not know how to walk with God. Isn't that crazy? Like, you can say, yes, I, I need forgiveness of my sin, but then be left in the wilderness, not, not know exactly how to do that. And so that's why today I want to talk about having those effective discipleship relationships, right? And you might think, well, I'm, I'm not in that. I'm not in a discipleship relationship. Well, as Kenny Morgan always says, we are always making disciples, and Kenny says it in a happy connotation, but it's true about everywhere in our life. In your work, you're making disciples, right? In your, in your own homes, you're making disciples, even if you believe it or not. In this church, if you are in that uh, process, you are making disciples. And so this is a message for everyone because we are always making disciples. And so this message is to get a biblical understanding on how to be effective in relationships and specifically on the focus on a teacher-student relationship or one of a leader to a follower. The Bible gives us a lot of examples uh, on this. Jesus in the 12 literally called disciples, right? Paul and Timothy, uh, Naomi and Ruth. But today we're going to be talking about M and J. Uh, not Michael Jordan, but Moses and Joshua. The, it's amazing. This, this du- duo couple, this this, these two guys are just amazing to look at in Scripture. We're going to pull principles from their relationship so that we can be a mighty force for God's kingdom. Effective discipleship relationships lead to souls one. 
Effective discipleship relationships lead to spiritual fathers and mothers in the church. And effective discipleship relationships lead to saints being trained to shine as lights in a lost and dying world. Doesn't the Bible say, by this shall all men know you're my disciples by your love one to another? It's important. It's so important. So let's pray right now. Let's ask God's blessing with us. Um, Father, I just want to thank you so much um, for this church, God. Thank you so much um, that we're here. God, thank you that you brought us here, that you woke us up. Um, Father, I pray right now that you would give us the ears to hear, that we would be able to set aside the distractions, Lord, of life um, and just have a spirit uh, that we will change, Lord, um, from hearing your word. So God, would you give us uh, that today and Lord, make us attentive hearers of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so in Exodus 17, I'd like to introduce some of our characters. Uh, most people are familiar with Moses, right? This is a man that led Israel out of the captivity in Egypt. He parted the Red Sea. He led them through the wilderness. He's always seen guiding God's people through hard times. And throughout the book of Exodus, we see him as the leader, and that's your first blank, as the leader of the nation of Israel. But he also has a core of group guys. You always see Moses with Aaron and Hur, probably familiar names. But more times than not, you see him with Joshua. And that's going to be the discipler or the follower for us this morning. Joshua is the follower. Now, Moses and Joshua have a tight relationship. Their books in the Bible are right next to each other. Deuteronomy and the book of Joshua. We see that Joshua became the leader of the Israelites after Moses. So Moses trusted Joshua. Moses trained Joshua. And Moses loved Joshua. He passed the baton off to Joshua, the son of Nun. And you'll see that's how he's named, the, the son of Nun, which I, I, I thought nuns couldn't have children. But, bad joke. If I hear the laughs, they go, ha ha, you guys don't really mean it. I'm a, no more jokes for you guys, that's bad. But let God be true, every man a liar, son of Nun, just saying. Um, but we'll start in verse 8 to get a, pic, uh, to get a, a characterization of Joshua. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men, and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So in these two verses, we immediately see war. This is the very first time Joshua gets brought up in your whole Bible. And what we see is that Moses is telling Joshua to go fight. We know from scripture that the Amalekites were God's enemy and were against God's people. Deuteronomy 25, 17 through 18 says, Remember what Amalek did unto thee by the way when ye were come forth out of Egypt, how he met thee by the way and smote the hindmost of thee, even all that were feeble behind thee, when thou was faint and weary and he feared not God. See, God's people were attacked immediately after they were delivered out of Egypt by the Amalekites. The Amalekites didn't fight fair. They smote the most feeble, the weakest of people. And this is a picture for us today of spiritual warfare in the believer's life. Just as Israel was delivered from their enemies and then faced hardship, so will you if you're a believer. If you are saved today, you were saved from your sins. You are seated in Christ in heavenly places, but there's still hardships because there is a foe. You are in a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6.12 says, 
For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Did you know you're in a war with those things? With principalities? Against powers? Against spiritual wickedness? Did you know that as a believer you're in war with those things at all times? Not with your boss, not with your spouse, not, not with the person who brought you to church, but with the real enemy that only wants one thing from you, and that's to be ineffective in this war. That's what he wants. And you know, it's interesting because in both Joshua's case and in Ephesians 6, instructions are the same. Get ready and fight. Get ready and fight. So what do we learn about Joshua's character? Let's keep reading. Verse 10. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top, went up to the top of the hill. See, immediately we see Moses tell him to go fight, put his life at risk. And you know what the Bible says? It says, so Joshua did as Moses had said. Isn't that such a sweet verse? Joshua did as Moses had said. See, Moses had been in the wilderness leading people that didn't want to be led. Moses had been, like literally this same chapter, the children of Israel were chiding against Moses, saying, oh, this, this manna sucks. Where's water? I'm thir-. Like, just complaining after complaining against their leader. And it would have been refreshing to Moses to know that there's someone who was faithful. Joshua did as Moses had said. This was wonderful. This was amazing for Moses because he found someone faithful, someone simply who was going to be faithful. Faithfulness for Joshua was to loyally and faithfully execute what the man of God had directed him to do, to stick to the command like glue, it's so interesting that this is the first that thing we hear about Joshua, and we don't hear other things, right? We don't hear that he was prepared for battle. We don't hear about his fighting skills. We don't hear about his salary. We don't, we don't hear anything about Joshua besides that he was faithful. That's the first character quality. And the scripture records it because it's so important. So here's our first key point. To have effective discipleship relationships, we must be faithful to those we follow. We must be faithful to those we follow. And in all relationships, right? To our spouses, to our bosses, to, our, to those people who are over us, to our parents. Joshua was faithful to his command because he knew he was in battle. He needed, he needed that support, that guidance. He knew that the man over him, over him heard from God. You know, and faithfulness, faithfulness is the loyal, trustworthy execution of a command. So someone, you know, bring it back to us, someone says, hey, do you mind serving? And guys, I am there with you. I'm the first one to say, yeah, right? Hey, do you mind doing this? Yeah, of course I'm going to do it. Um, But then, you know, you start strong and then you don't finish as strong, right? You finish a little weaker. Uh, and, And that's fickleness. That's not faithfulness. Oh, I want to help, right? I, we say this, I want to help. And then a week later, someone has to follow up with us because we, we didn't help. And, and that's not faithfulness. That's the opposite of Joshua. I remember uh, if you're in discipleship, this will sound familiar, but you know your discipler tells you, hey, meet me here, and you're, um, you're meeting them there. And in our discipleship process, we have a booklet we go through on that one-on-one 
life relationship. And there's memory verses. Ah, you guys know where I'm going with this. I'm, I'm at that frou-frou lake that Blade loves, right? And I pull up three minutes early, and I'm like, like, it's like there's a meme of a little kid learning things, and he goes, Whew. It's like, like trying to gain information that way with the book. And man, I was right there. I was like trying to cram my memorization verses, like three minutes, like at the meeting spot with my discipler. Um, you know, and I didn't think anything of it, but that actually made me ineffective in that relationship. It all, it came to a head, actually, and Pastor Sam might remember this, but um, I was in the lawn care ministry, so you guys walked in. Did you notice the lawn? You're not supposed to. It's supposed to just be cut, right? And I, uh, I, my, my ministry was just to mow the lawn once a week. Well, you know, Saturday rolls around, I'm hanging out with friends, and I'm like, you know, whatever. I just don't even think about it. Sunday morning happens, and I wake up, and the first thing on my mind is the lawn, right? Like, the lawn. It's like 7.30. I roll up to the church here. I pull out the lawnmower. I'm going. I'm running. I don't even think I'm cutting it. I'm just running (laughs) with the lawnmower. I see Pastor Sam, and I'm turning the corner here. I see Pastor Sam pull up in his Cadillac. I'm just, he, he, he drives a Toyota. And he, he does this, right? He gives me the look. And then he gets out. He gets out. And I'm like, I'm, it's 8 a.m. Imagine coming to church and some guy's doing that. And there's grass clippings by the front door. Man. And so Pastor Sam grabs a broom and starts sweeping it. And then Chris Miller comes by and he gives me the hey buddy, but he, it's the most like intense conversation I've had. <laughs> like I, I knew I was in trouble. And that day, it's funny now, but that day I learned two things. I learned how much of our leaders are servants and then two, how untrustworthy I was. My yeses weren't yeses. My noes weren't noes, right? It, I, I was not reliable. And that's not how Joshua acts. When Joshua heard the command, he went and fought. Joshua could have thought, Joshua could have thought man, what are you going to go do? You're going to go to the top of the hill away from the battle and I'm going to go fight? Like, he could have had all this evil surmisings, but he was simply faithful. Luke 16.10 says, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. The Bible states that if you can't be faithful in the small matters, how are you going to do anything that's bigger, that's important to the Lord past that point? You think the Lord was just waiting for me to whisk the lawn so he can then give me the pulpit? Like, that's not how that works. Like, he wants me to be faithful in the small things. And for those who are followers, he wants you to be faithful in the small things. And this is the issue. This is a character quality that's rare. Proverbs 20, verse 6 says, Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. And in five years, in ten years, you know what's going to matter? It's if you're faithful to the Lord. Man, I've been here ten years seeing people come and go. That's such a key character quality in a believer, is that you're faithful to the Lord because he was faithful to us first. Man, and, and I want to encourage you guys with this. So many of us are new to this church. Maybe you're visiting. Maybe it's your first month here and you haven't started the process. I want to encourage you, just keep being faithful. Just continue the thing that you agreed upon for yourself. You know, don't, don't, don't be like me. You know, and when the church gets bigger, we'll have more excuses. We'll think somebody else will fill that slot. 
But man, we can't let that happen. It's not okay to not commit to a fellowship. It's not okay to just not be faithful to main service, right? Disciples and believers of Jesus Christ, we must be faithful because the Lord is faithful first. And when that opportunity arises, make that a big deal to yourself like it was to Joshua. He was in battle. He didn't make that a light matter. He made it a big deal to himself and, and he was faithful to the command. So that's our first principle is if you're a follower, be a servant. Now let's continue in the story because it gets juicier. Verse 11, and it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy and they took a stone and put it under him and he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So we see the battle rage forth, right? And it was being won when the hands were up and hands were down, they started loosing, right? And so hope he didn't skip shoulder day, but Moses' disciples won when his hands were completely up and, his, and they were loosing when the hands were down while he was on the top of the hill. He could see the people fighting, right, on top of the hill. He was an overseer of that battle. And this is a biblical picture for us of prayer. Psalm 141 verse 2 says, Let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. 1 Timothy 2.8, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. For us to have effective discipleship relationship, we must be praying for our disciples. We must be praying for the ministries we lead. We must be praying for our families, our spouses that we lead, or however that applies to you. God is showing us here that the leader has a personal responsibility to pray for the follower. They, they are their overseer. They're the ones that can see the battle. Let's look to Jesus for our example. In John 17, only two chapters prior to his crucifixion, we don't find Jesus scurrying away, right, running away, or trying to teach another lesson, one last, one last sermon. We find him praying in the garden. In verse eight and nine, we find the content of his prayer, and it says this, for I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. Wow. Jesus thought it a priority to pray for his disciples. He was at the end of his life and goes to pray on their behalf. And he doesn't just pray, he prays specific things, right? In verse uh, 15, he says that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. In verse 17, he says, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. In verse 18, he prays, I also sent them into the world. Jesus knew that for his disciples to be effective in their ministries, in their walks, that, they, that he had to pray for them. This is the longest prayer recorded in scripture of Jesus, and it's for those who follow him. Isn't that amazing? Did Jesus have shortcomings? He could have said, God, look, 
they have received you through me. Check. They, he could have said, hey, I sanctify, you know, I sanctify them through your, thy truth. That word is truth. Check. He could have, he could have, you could read that and think, oh, he did everything right. Why would he yet have to pray for them? And it's because their victory dependent on his prayer. Isn't that amazing? Jesus had no shortcomings, but he still found it a priority to pray. Wow. Wow. So here's a second key point. To have effective discipleship relationships, we must pray for those we lead. We must pray for those we lead. Our disciples' victories, our children's victories, our Bible studies' evangelistic efforts are all tied to your prayers and to my prayers. Wow. Man, it's, it's amazing. And I know, I know it can get hard. I know some of us have discipled or mental, um, mentored multiple people. And you know it can get routine. Um, and you know the lessons like the back of your hand. But let me tell you, God loves to hear you broken over people. Man, when you don't think you have capacity, pray for that person. When you, when you feel disconnected from that person you're leading, pray for that person. When it's hard to love the ministry activities you're doing, pray for that. It will change your heart. It will enlarge it. See, it's easy for us to have a, a form of discipleship but no reality. It's easy to go through a program without lives changing because we're missing that power of prayer. And I want to have a caveat. caveat. Um, people still have free wills. So if someone goes against the truth, if someone decides, hey, this isn't for me, and, and they know they're doing wrong, that's okay. People have free wills. But if someone walks away from the Lord, if, so, if someone leaves that mentorship relationship, if you have broken relationships, and you're not broken over that, if it doesn't sting you, I, I just consider for myself, was I really praying for that person? So remember, Joshua, Moses, um, sorry about that. Um, we, we must pray. Pray like Jesus did. Pray for their holiness. Pray for their sanctification. Pray for their evangelism. You know, prayer is one of the richest forms of, a believer can have in victory. Just like, it's so amazing. Just like Moses entered into battle without being on the battleground, so can we enter into their labor wherewith we bestowed no labor. You can fight with a person without being right next to them. When you pray for them, you're praying and winning with them. Man, and, I, and like I said, it gets hard. Remember, Moses wasn't holding his hands up by himself, right? He had Aaron and her. So do we have people in our lives that hold us up when we pray, when, when we're lacking in that? Do we have people that hold us accountable and pray with us so they would encourage our faith? It's amazing. So we saw how Joshua was faithful. We see Moses' prayer. We see his, his overseeing of the battle. And now we're going to go to the third thing in Exodus 24. And so this is our next lesson, and it starts in verse 12. And the Lord said unto Moses, Come up to me into the mount and be there, and I will give thee tables of stones and a law and commandments which I have written, that thou mayest teach them. And Moses rose up in his minister Joshua, and Moses went up into the mount of God, and he said unto the elders, Tarry ye here for us, 
until we come again unto you. And behold, Aaron and her are with you. If any man have any matters to do, let him come unto them. And Moses went up into the mount, and a cloud covered the mount. So this is a momentous time for the children of Israel. It's when Moses goes and gets the law from the mounts. You guys have probably heard this, right? He gets the law of God so he can direct people, so he can instruct people. And this is huge, right? And what does he do? He brings Joshua with him. Man, and we learn a character quality about Joshua here because this is the first time Joshua is called a minister. And his minister, Joshua, and it's so interesting because if you think about it, they left the camp, they rose up, they had like one-on-one time for six days, and then Moses leaves Joshua for 40 days and 40 nights. Like Joshua was just hanging out for a, for a really long time. And I think it's interesting too because this is the first mention of the word minister in your Bible. So what, is, what does minister mean? The word minister isn't like the word we use today when we ask, oh, well, who, who officiated the wedding? You know, Minister Bob. Um, or, the, or the title prime minister, the, the person who makes all government um, policy and decisions. The Bible defines minister as a servant. The first variation of this word is used when Joseph was in jail and he became a servant or a minister unto Pharaoh. And this is the first mention of the word minister. A minister is someone who serves. That's what goes in your blank. A minister is a servant. And you might think, you know, we, we have ideas about what words mean, so you might think of this title as slowly, as uh, not, you know, flashy or weird, but I believe it's something Joshua took great honor in. And I think that because this is how he is introduced in his own book in the Bible. Joshua 1.1, Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying. We see in this verse that Moses gets called the servant of the Lord, but then Joshua gets called the minister of Moses. This is huge because it gives us insight into who Joshua was, his heart, and how to have effective discipleship relationships. For those that follow Jesus Christ or are starting to, let me tell you one thing. You're starting on a life of service. Did you know that? You're starting a life of service. This service also, one more thing, this service also isn't independent of people. It's not independent of people. Joshua gives us this example that we serve those that are our leaders because they are serving Christ. So here's our key point. To have effective discipleship relationships, we serve those over us. We serve those over us. Whether you're in a Bible study, in your fellowship, in, in any relationship where you're subordinate, to be effective in the ministry God has put you in, you must yourself become a minister. You must yourself become a servant. You know, the, the, the thing that we can struggle with is the, the bigger the church gets, things just happen, right? Like worship just happened, Jeff's testimony was great, the announcements were great, and now I'm up here. Like it just happened. It felt like it was just so coordinated and so poised. Um, Tuesday night happens, the, the warm food is ready, right? We scarf it down, and then Tuesday night prayer happens. It just happens. But, but let me tell you, we want you to be part of that. It doesn't just happen. It's because people are serving. 
And you know, sometimes we, we look at our leaders or disciples as someone who is distant, someone who has it figured out. But look, they, we don't. The only reason they are in the position they are is because they are serving. They are sacrificing for you. And so we should be servants to them. I have not seen someone who is a servant not become Christ-like. They're synonymous. The more of a servant you are, the more Christ-like you do become because Jesus was a servant. Man, this looks like if, just asking, just asking, how can I serve you this week? I mean, this is great for marriage. How, how can I be praying for you? What can I do this week? Wow. If we had a culture of servants, we would not be able to contain the ministries going on at MBT. And we don't serve people because they scratch our backs, right? We don't serve people because they did something for us. It's because of their position in our life and because of their work. They're serving Christ. They are our Moseses. So we must be their servants. Moses left for the mount for 40 days and 40 nights from Exodus 25 to 32. And we see immediately when he returns, Joshua never left his post, right? And before then, he spent six days with him one-on-one companionship. And we just see him patiently wait after that. And you know, the reason when Moses comes back, the reason they're fallen into sin is because they were impatient. That's the first thing recorded is, well, we, well, I don't know where Moses went, so let's just party. They were impatient on his return, but not Joshua. Joshua is the opposite. Well, what does this say for us? Well, that is service, right? So often, we have this mentality that we must be served and it must be now. That's how I feel when my problems arise. It needs to be fixed now. But did you know that we could serve our leaders, we can serve those over us by being patient? That's what we see here. Joshua was patient. And it's more of an attitude than an availability issue. Because when Moses comes back, you don't even see a single complaint from Joshua. Joshua, his attitude is, that man right there, that's my guy. That's who I'm going to serve. What a heart. And that should be us. I'm not saying that people shouldn't get back to you in a timely manner. I'm just saying that the attitude you have of that person across that table in your car, the the attitude should be that I esteem that person better than myself. I am going to serve them. What a rich, rich example we have. And we see this, that the best disciples of Jesus Christ are servants because Jesus Christ himself was a servant. Mark 10, 45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Man, even Jesus Christ came not to be ministered unto, but he deserved it, right? He's the only one that ever deserves it, but instead he gave his life a ransom for many on the cross. He took on the cross and the shame that went along with that to serve as a sacrifice for our sin, So what are we going to do? What are we going to do when we think of leadership? Are we going to think of them as a stopgap, as a checkbox, as a stamp to our discipleship passport, to our mentorship passport? Thank you. What's my next step on the ladder? No, no way. We got to love those people. We got to love those people. Are we going to treat that discipler, spouse, as someone that you esteem higher than yourself and serve them? Will you serve them exactly how Jesus served us? So for us to have effective discipleship relationships, we must serve. We must serve. And this is a side note, side quest. 
But for those leading, don't make it hard on those that you lead, right? We see it clearly from Moses that he had direction. He was going to go to that mount. He knew what he was going to do. He had a word from the Lord, and he was going to get the word from the Lord. And so don't make it hard on the people who are following you. Stick to the Bible. Stick to the things that are taught, not to your own best ideas, and be prepared for that. Proverbs 29, 18 says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. So Moses wasn't leading without a plan, without direction. And I, I love this. There's a, a Friday evangelism team at our church. It's a group of college kids, so they're ragtag, misfits. That's what I like to think about them. But um, they're stinky. I, I made fun of them the first service. It doesn't land as well. Um, but every Friday they meet up, the leader, I, everyone knows what he's going to say. They're going to go to John 15, 6, and the leader's going to ask them how their fellowship with the Lord was that week. Because you should be right with the Lord before you go share him, right? It's like, it's like clockwork. They know that because the leader gives good vision, good direction for that. So, so make sure that we have direction for the people that are following. So let's continue in our story because it gets better. Exodus 32, 7 says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go get thee down, for thy people which, has, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Skip down to verse 15. And Moses turned and went down from the mount, and the two tables of the testimony were in his hand. The tables were written on both their sides. On the one side and on the other were they written. And the tables were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, graven upon the tables. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said unto Moses, There is a noise of war in the camp. And he said, It is not the voice of them that shout for mastery, neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome, but the noise of them that sing, Do I hear? And it came to pass, as soon as he came nigh unto the camp, that he saw the calf in the dancing, and Moses' anger was waxed hot, and he cast the tables out of his hands and brake them beneath the mounts. Mm. In the story, Moses comes back from being on the mount. He just had, guys, Moses just had the best quiet time you could ever have. The, the worship on point, right? Like the prayer on point. He's taking notes with his finger and tables of stones. Like he just had a meeting with God, right? But then towards the end of that meeting, God warns him, hey, people are going crazy. They're becoming idolatrous. And so get down there and stop that nonsense right now. And so Moses, as he's walking down, he meets Joshua. And Joshua has a, has a little bit of a hard time, right? He didn't have the insight that Moses had to help him understand the situation. Moses guides Joshua to understanding that it's not people strengthening themselves for battle, like screaming to get hyped, or, or you know, them being overtaken, but it's singing. See, when Moses gets to the camp, he's furious, man. He's hot. He's livid. He oh man, he is just outdone with anger right now. And so what you see here is a pattern. You see a confused or ignorant disciple, right? You see the man of God hot with anger, righteous anger, and then you see a corrupted people or corrupted temple. Now let's turn to John 2, verse 14 through 17. 
Because this story is going to show us how we must teach our disciples God's wisdom and to discern God's heart. And you see Jesus do the same. Verse 14 says, And found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers of money and overthrew the tables and, and said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence, make not my father's house and the house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, The seal of thine house hath eaten me up. So in this passage, we have Jesus enter the temple, and we see him get high. We see him get livid. We see him furious for what's going on, what's, come, what's become so commonplace, right? Commonplace in the temple, the making of money. And again, you'll see this pattern with disciples. They don't always know what's going on. They don't always understand in the moment what Jesus is doing, but it what he does always leads them back to the word. Jesus, they always remember something written in the word about what Jesus is doing. So we got to take these two examples and see how these leaders taught. And so in this account, in the account of Moses, we see a great principle, and that's this. To have effective discipleship relationship, we must teach God's wisdom and heart. We must teach God's wisdom and heart. That's, that's for the people, our disciples, our children. We got to teach them how to follow and to discern God's wisdom and heart. So let's focus on the wisdom part. Sometimes our disciples or people growing in their faith will not understand what's going on in their own life, right? You'll, be, like, you'll hear some of them make decisions and you're like, what? Why did you do that? Uh, I actually, um, I'm getting older, okay? And I love the Dave Ramsey show. Uh, and really, what I love, I, I haven't watched that much, but I love it when YouTube compiles like the top 10 craziest Dave Ramsey shows you guys know what I'm talking about. And it's just like crazy phone calls, but they just, you just gotta keep listening. It's a little toxic, but you're just like, whoa, what's, what the heck? Um, but I was watching it, and there was a young man, he sounded just like me, unfortunately, but he was $200,000 in debt. Um, and he says, you know, Dave, I've, I've been thinking, what if I buy a house and then rent out half the room and before he, could even, before he could even get there, Dave Ramsey went unhinged. Like, maybe, he, maybe Dave did have a good quiet time, but Dave was furious. He was like, you're broke. Like, and, and it's funny because during this time I was with this guy, I was like, that's smart. Yeah, just buy a house, you know? But I heard this and I was just like, I guess you're, that's not smart. You don't go, you don't get out of debt by going into debt. Praise God for that man. You know, like, it, it, it was just such a good lesson, but it's, it, it points to the fact that, man, sometimes what seems obvious to you might not always be obvious to someone that you're leading, right? What seems, what seems like, oh, that's common sense. Well, man, they, people, when they get saved, come out of a world of lostness, to whatever extent you don't know. So you have to be willing to teach them wisdom as they come into that, into the relationship with Christ. And so I'm calling us to help each other out. Help understand the disciple, the person you're mentoring, the noise in their life. See, we live in such an individualistic society that now we've become shy to speaking into people's lives. We're friends with believers, but we rarely check up into their spiritual lives 
or we rarely help them see when something's out of line to God's word. And I got to ask, is that, is that how you learned? That's not how I learned. I praise God for the, the men and, and women who were in my life, like just, just showing truth through their life. I'm so thankful for people that said, hey, man, that, that's, not, that's not the right move. I'm so thankful for those people. But in a society where everyone just has their own thing and lives their own lives, we must be counterculture to that. You must be able to step in into people's lives and share wisdom. Proverbs 25, 11 through 12 says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver, as an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold. So is a wise reprover upon an obedient ear. Man, words fitly spoken are rich. Those words God gives you aren't just for yourself. They're for the people around you. Help the person walking with you determine what they hear. Is it something from the word or is it something from the world? Right? Is it, is it something that, that sounds like it's spiritual warfare or is it something that sounds like the affairs of the world? Don't be shy. Don't be shy, discipler. Don't be shy, parent. Be ready to encourage and to guide those walking with you. And now another part of the story is that Moses didn't tell him everything he was going to do, right? They don't stop and they're walking and it's like, I'm going to get this mad. I'm going to say this thing. <laughs> like, you don't see that. What you see is Moses was just moved. He, was just, he just went down there. And you got to imagine, Joshua's in this thing just watching it all go down. So this is another consideration is that both Moses, and jo- both Moses and Jesus were moved and they were moved to action. I mean, cons- consider, consider, um, consider them. They, they're the most meek men, stable men. They're slow to anger, right? They're, they're of a sound mind, but yet they knew what grieved the Father and so it grieved them. They knew what God rejoices over and so they would rejoice in those moments too. And samples or victories are won when you're stirred up by the Spirit to sample the heart of God. And samples are created when the person following you sees God's heart through what moves you. I remember I learned this on my first mission trip um, with Taylor Lyon. I was 21. It was like the crack of dawn, like 7.30. And when you're 21, that's, that's early. But... I, it's early, I see like a light across the room, and I, I see a head and arms, so I'm like, let me investigate, right? I grab my glasses, and I open my eyes, and I see Taylor just praying for the trip. Like, that's, that's all he was doing, but he was pouring his heart out, like begging God for fruit on this trip, and that's something I had never seen before. You know, I've heard it, pray without ceasing, you hear these things, but until I saw my bro broken over what breaks God, I, I didn't know a difference. He was moved, and it moved me. It moved me mightily. I mean, I, I tend to overcompensate, but like that next like lunch I had, I prayed so hard. Like I was just so like thankful for everything God gave me, and it, it just, it goes to show that we learn by watching people. We learn by having Moses in our life, not just explain the situation, but act on it, right? And some will say, well, I'm not an emotional guy. But then tomorrow with the Eagles, you're just going to be like, you know, it's good. It's like, what are you doing, ref? Like, the, the issue isn't what gets you hot or not. The issue is having God's heart in your heart. 
The issue is being moved by what God's moved by. That's the issue. And we see this with Jesus as our example. Mark 6.34, it says, And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them because they were sheep as not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Moved, then action. Matthew 18, 27. Then the Lord of the servant was moved with compassion and loosed them and forgave him the debt. Moved, then action. Mark 1, 41. And Jesus, moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched them and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. Moved, then action. Jesus is moved, are we? Has the person following, has your spouse Man, have your grandkids, have your children, have your high school friends, who you tell you're a Christian to, have they seen you broken? Have they seen you moved? Have they seen you excited about how God answers your prayers? Man, our witness to the Lord must be different. For us to have effective discipleship relationships, we must teach God's wisdom and heart. And I believe this is one of the first moments Joshua got to go behind the curtain and really start understanding God's character. And look how he ends up. It's it's really amazing because this is towards the end of Moses' life. Deuteronomy 34, 9. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom. For Moses had laid his hand upon him, and the children of Israel hearkened unto him and did as the Lord commanded Moses. Joshua, the son of Nun, ended full of the spirit of wisdom. What an amazing truth. Because I, I pray that our church, our ministries are full of Joshua's. Don't you want that? Don't you want people who are full, your children to be full of the spirit of wisdom? Well, for that to happen, we must be moved, and we must be moved by God, what moves God. Um, if I can have the worship team come up, I, I have yet to address um, one type of person. I don't think Eric's here, but that's okay. Um, but I want to encourage us today that you might have heard this and said, okay, but I'm not a believer, or I'm not someone who would say has a relationship with God even. I, I want to encourage you by saying that Joshua's name actually means Jehovah is salvation. Isn't that amazing? Jehovah is my salvation. That's what Joshua's name means. And so what you have to consider today is that you might you, you do have relationships, but you might have relationships that for some reason you don't know why they're broken. You don't, you don't understand why they keep failing. I've been in that spot. Relation, like you try your best and then you don't try your best and either way, it just goes south, right? Well, it's because God wants you to deal with one relationship today and that's a relationship between you and God the Father, that's the only relationship to get right before you get the other ones right. It's something I learned. It's something that, man, I, I grew up Catholic. I had, I had good parents. I, I, I thought I knew right from wrong. But the thing I was missing was a relationship with God. Right now where you sit, right, you are not a friend or a son of God if you don't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Can, can you, I mean, think about it. On Thanksgiving dinner, are you going to be able to give thanks for that? And I, I want to challenge you with this. The, the gift of the gospel is that even though right now, if you haven't believed you are in your sins, the things that you have done wrong deserve a punishment against a holy God. 
Even though that's true, God sent his only begotten son to pay for the wrath over that sin, over those broken relationships, over your wrongdoing, over your nature. That's what God did 2,000 years ago. And the promise of scripture is that you believe, if you believe on that, if you believe on the death, burial, and resurrection, that relationship's made right. And you gain a Joshua. Man, I, I encourage you, if, if someone brought you today, if you have more questions about that, ask. But today you can be made right with God. And today you can have that relationship that, that we're talking about. And guys, I've never seen someone repent and everyone boo. <laughs> like, I know it's, it's, a, it's a hard thing to imagine you being humble and, and saying, okay, I'm done in front of a, a large group of people. That's not, that's not normal, right? But repentance is always joyful. Everyone in this room wants you to repent. Everyone in this room wants you to see the peace that you can have with God instead of being his enemy. So if you have any questions about that, talk to the person that brought you. Talk, talk to me. There'll be people here in the front because it is the most important decision you can make with your life. So let's go ahead. Uh, I'll pray us out. And if you have decisions to make, uh, please make them. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for your word today, Lord. And God, I just pray that um, for the believers in this room, God, that we would take um, your word to heart. God, that you would make us faithful. God, that you'd consider our prayer life um, over the people, our families, Lord. God, that you would help us be servants, specifically, Lord, to those who are already serving. God, please help us teach people around us your wisdom in your heart. And Lord, I pray for those people who, who don't know, maybe they're just not sure if they have a relationship with you. God, I, I pray for them to, to understand that their sin can be dealt with, has been dealt with, Lord. And God, their decision right now is to surrender. So God, I just pray for anyone who's questioning, um, would you give them the, the faith? Would you increase their faith to see um, that, that this can be done today. Today is the day of salvation, says, says the word. And so God, please help us make decisions for you that are eternal uh, and that will change our lives in our church. In Jesus' name, amen.